0: The following is a live the dream media production. Hello and welcome to the Faith Family Schools podcast with your host, Christopher D. Simone. Hey, welcome back to Faith Family and Schools. I'm Christopher D. Simone, and again, uh, you can follow us along on all your favorite social media platforms. And if you want to go to The Mothership, go to faithfamilyschools.com, and that will lead you to YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and again, faithfamilyschools at gmail.com. If you have any comments, you have any great guests that you want us to talk about that cover any of those areas that we love to talk about on this podcast, faithfamilyschools at gmail.com. And if you like us kicked off the all-podcasts, same That's fine, too. We're good with that. So uh, we're going to cover and talk to one of my favorite people in Arizona about education, and it's my friend Bob Branch. Bob, good morning.
1: Good morning, Chris. Thank you for having me down here today.
0: And I met Bob a a few years ago when you ran for superintendent of public instruction in Arizona. Can you
1: believe that's almost six years now?
0: That's time warp, man. Time warp. I, yeah. think, I think lockdown's melted time, as it's we say. Melted time. I agree with that. I agree with that. And one of the things I loved about Bob is he was a guy who taught educators how to educate. Mm-hmm. And I really loved the way you talked about public education. And I was immediately uh, one of your biggest boosters in southern Arizona because I thought you, you were walking the walk. And you live education. I do. So you know, you know education <laughs> in this
1: town and in this state. So I think that's the reason why we hit it off so quickly.
0: It's true. So let's talk about your background a little bit. How did, how did Bob get to being a get, – get, getting to be a teacher and then teaching teachers?
1: Well, I appreciate that. Um, actually, around 2001 was the first time I ever lectured at a university. But I lectured in technology. Okay. I was asked to do um, – some things happened during 9-11 – where technology-wise, my company, we owned a database development firm, was able to help another company. And that, one of their persons there asked me to go and talk to their students about what we did and how we transferred over some data. Okay. And I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with it. I came home, told my lovely wife, Adele, I said, this is what I wanna do the rest of my life. Wow. And so, about six months later I was asked if I would like to have a standing gig teaching at the university and it was like, well sure, I would like to do that. And since that time, um, you know, became dean of education, dean of technology, campus director, I've designed uh, many, many uh, bachelor programs, uh, two MBA, excuse me, three MBA programs and two PhD programs and at Grand Canyon uh, actually one of the one of my students when I was dean at another university uh, her name was Ann Nelson Ann was just starting the doctorate program at Grand Canyon and when she heard that I was leaving the university that I was working for she asked what I was going to do I said well Ann I'll tell you what I I just want to teach that's it no more administration for me just teach right and she goes, well, why don't you come over to Grand Canyon and teach here? First of all, it's faith-based, but second of all, um, you'll like the doctorate program because it was pretty much the one I designed for this university I was teaching. Well, that helps. It helps. So, um, you know, I fit in really well with that. And, you know, love Grand Canyon. It's a great university. I designed an MBA program for Liberty University, and that's how I became a professor at Liberty University, too. Um, and that's... Jerry Falwell was still alive then uh, when I became professor there and designed that course. It was an online MBA program. I designed one for Western Governors University as well. And um, that's how I came into education. My doctorate degree is in leadership uh, and organization with focus on information systems. Okay. Um, So we were able to... When I went uh, when I went over to Grand Canyon, teach leadership to their doctor uh, to their doctorate students in education, and their program teaches teachers how to run large learning organizations. And I fit into that mold really well, being able to teach them. And that's what I taught mainly for the past decade
0: is so how to those, run law, to so, run so those education. people taking that doctorate program were moving on to run what kind of organ, what kind of educational institutions?
1: So these were mostly teachers or vice principals or principals
0: okay wishing to become superintendents
1: and how to run, you know, large organizations instead of just myoptically with inside their own schools,
0: so I'm kind of glad uh, having this conversation about teaching the teachers. And you were at a faith-based uh, place that hopefully was not as indoctrinating as other universities out there. But so talk so talk about these 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 fresh minds or people who are coming from these educational institutions coming to your class. What I guess I think what kind of um, hmm, what kind of baggage did they bring with them in relation to intellectually? Uh, into that class that you noticed was kind of so. What was some of the common baggage, intellectual baggage, brought into from those those places?
1: Well, just looking at quality of writing, this is the first thing that was glaring to me. Right. <laughs> we, and it, it's not their fault because they communicate. Many of them are elementary school teachers, and they wish to advance their careers. So they're used to talking and communicating with, you know, 8-, 9-, 10-year-olds in long, drawn-out sentences and long, drawn-out paragraphs instead of three or four sentences per paragraph Sure. To, to have a thought or idea. And so having to let them understand that you communicate every single day with a 12-year-old but this isn't 12-year-old work. You need to up your game, you know, put it to a doctorate level. Uh, but also uh, the baggage, there was also the baggage of teachers' associations and teachers' unions, uh, the baggage of uh, teaching to a test instead of, you know, teaching to the child. Um, and these are some baggages, and, but mostly thinking myoptically, looking inward these are my students my class instead of holistically how can i help the the schools how can i help the school systems and that was a tough break to it, but but successful they're all successful doing it but breaking from looking myopically and to a more holistic view.
0: So there's a, uh, a very smart guy. I'm trying. It's one of those old dead Greek or Roman guys who said something about education is not about filling a bucket; it's about sparking a fire. Mm-hmm. Right? Is I love it. that spark? That filling the bucket is that kind of been? Is that what you saw in a lot of these 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 folks that were coming through the program? Many, many.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it, because that's how you know when they graduate from let's say their bachelor's degree and they get their teachers. Um, certificate, and they go in and teach. What ends up happening is they're excited. They want to teach. They have a passion. And I think that's the spark, right, that we should be igniting. Right. But then they show up and, let's say, they're to teach a third grader, and they understand the curriculum, and they want to teach their third grader. However, half of their students aren't even to the third grade level yet. All of a sudden, reality hits them. Right. And... And, and and that way, now you have the bucket. How do I how do how do I backfill this? How do I do this? And
0: that's not that's not fun to try to backfill the bucket while you have all these other kids that are also maybe out there or.
1: There's a lot of kids that want that spark, right? Right. And but we have a habit in this state, or some politicians have a habit in the state, by saying we don't have good teachers. I I sincerely disagree with that. We have great teachers. We just don't allow them to spike uh, uh, or, or spark uh, that fire, right. that flame. And I think that we should.
0: Actually. So what are we doing to repress the fire sparking of good teachers?
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, since this is one of your first, I brought you a gift. <laughs> oh, no.
0: <laughs> this is the first time we've ever opened a present on Faith, Family, and Schools.
1: Well, you're new. Well, thank you. (laughs) Maybe, maybe this will trend.
0: When I first saw it, I thought it was a pickleball racket, but it's not a pickleball racket. It's not a pickleball (laughs) racket. I guess my generation is going for pickleball nowadays. But let's see what we got here. This is totally. This is not. This is not a put on. I do not know what's in here.
1: (laughs) So. So now we're going back to Sun Tzu. <laughs> so, know your enemy. You ask what we can do? First of all,
0: identify your enemy. So for anyone who doesn't know this is this is Randy Weingartner. <laughs> That's right. The head of
1: the the Teachers Union for the United States. United. States.
0: There's the enemy. let's, so, let's well, uh, <laughs> get her up there let's see. Here we go. That's fair. That's not going to work. So anyway. That's not going to (laughs) work. Well, sorry. But now you know (laughs) know your enemy.
1: Well, you know, Sun Tzu said, know your enemy and know yourself. Right. Right. And in 100 battles, you will not feel defeat. Right. So you, you ask, what can we do about it? First of all, identify the problems. You know, we have the right in this state to have local control. Uh, unfortunately, we don't really practice it right. in a lot of areas, and that's unfortunate because education could be phenomenal in this state. Sure, and you had some guests on, right, with the charter schools and all that. Yep. And you know, and he was talking about your Montessori schools that they never closed down c- during COVID. Yep. And when Wine Garden and everybody says we'll close down, we won't open schools until we know that 100% everybody is safe. It's like, well, you know, that was just wrong, you know, shutting down the schools, and I'm hoping that they never do that again.
0: So we I, harmed our children. So this is so I I, I I grew up in a unique situation. I'm a New York Long Island kid, right? Right. And the the school district that my parents moved to in the mid '60s was established as a union free school district, mm-hmm. which I. I haven't heard of that any any other time <laughs> since then. But the school district I went to was so good as a public school that people paid, because there was no open enrollment in those days, they paid extra bonus money to get a house in our school district. But there was no teachers union allowed as part of the establishment. I don't know if you can even do that anymore. <laughs> well, we have the right to work state here,
1: right? right? And, uh, you know, but you're right, and – when going back when I was a kid, right, which is a long time ago, um, we never even questioned the quality of education. We got an education. Yep. And, you know, there were tests that you had to take. There were items that you had to complete. There are credits that you had to complete to get your diploma. Now we are able to have diploma in uh technology uh in other words uh going let's say welding or or cabinetry or carpentry right we had the votex schools so you get a diploma with that um you had other ones where uh secretarial was a big thing in, yep. it, when I grew up so or, my mom did that yeah or academics yep. and you know one of the three and but you had to make sure that you were able to complete that now I Went academics, and that prepared me for college. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I felt very prepared when I went off to college. So
0: are teachers' unions necessary? Te- right, Because when, th- when I think of unions, like when they – I'm thinking like Welsh coal miners when they first kind of started, right? Sure was, uh, sure. was competitive pay and a safe working environment. And right?
1: you didn't want children down in the mines. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And that was the big thing, right? So no, my no thing is, labor. T-
0: when I look at teachers' union. They stink at competitive pay and they don't do the best time keeping it a safe working environment for their teachers.
1: (laughs) What I, what I believe though is they're not focused on the child or education. They're focused on making sure that they can teach failing schools open, keep administrators that shouldn't be there, there and teachers there. And I think that that's and accumulate members and accumulate members and get more money. Um, you know, when you heard Red for Ed in this state, it wasn't, you know, pay us 20% more and your child will be 30% more educated. There was no matrix put on the learning of the child. It was just give us more. Sure. And it's always give us more. Um, I wanna see a matrix put on it. I wanna see if we pay you more, what's, what is the results? Right, and that's unfortunate because we don't have that. Uh, And it's funny you ask about the union
0: because I I brought the (laughs) enemy. The for me, I've seen teachers take pay cuts to go to schools that are charter schools that are away from this teachers' union Mm -hmm. dynamic of K twelve publics, right. And because they want to feel like a teacher again. I kept on hearing that over and over again. I'm getting off the state retirement program. I'm going to a 401K, and I'm going to take a $4,000 pay cut every year to not hang out with Randy and the crew. Hang out with Randy <laughs> and the crew.
1: But that's true. And I think if you go back and look at those teachers, like your guest the uh, last week was talking about the, the charter schools, the quality of life for those teachers, are better. Right. So they're willing to take the pay cut, not just to teach, but their quality of life is better. Sure. First of all, they they, beautiful school system. They have uh, children there that want to learn, and they're able to spark that education that you were talking about. And I think that that's very important. Um, You know, school choice is obviously something that I'm, you know, was a, a big proponent of and still am right i I, I brought this this was like when i ran for superintendent the very first thing was
0: dismantle the u.s department of education
1: dismantle the u.s department of education now my political opponents because in 2018 i ran for superintendent of public instruction um as a statewide race in arizona and they say i lost by 249 votes But I came out of the gate to dismantle the United States Department of Education. Um, My political opponents on the Republican side told everybody, oh, Dr. Branch is out to harm children. That will harm children. And it was like, harm children? Are you kidding me? Well, now I look like a visionary, because if you look at any of the presidential candidates now for the Republican, Very first debate, three people said, we got to get rid of the Department of Education. Vivek, you know, he's the one that started right at the bet. Get rid of it. Just let the states keep their money. At the last debate, all of them adopted dismantled, get rid of the Department of Education for the United States. So I look like a visionary now.
0: What kills me is Republicans who kind of, like, fight against that, but they want more local control themselves. So... Why take the money? The money comes with strings all the time. You know, you get, you send up
1: around seventy cents, you get back a dollar. But the strings in the army of people that you need to make sure that that money is spent the way that the federal government strings are on that money is costing you fifty cents. So you're sending seventy cents up, you're only spending fifty cents in the classroom, or less than fifty cents in the classroom. So why don't you just keep your seventy cents? And you get 40% more
0: money. So if we take no child left behind, which is the one of the infamous examples, I feel like we've left more children behind than ever. <laughs> is that an, accurate, an inaccurate
1: statement? We have <laughs> left the child behind yep. in many of our public schools. And that's unfortunate, especially now with COVID. Yep. Uh, what are we doing to get all of these students up and running and back where they were? Remember, the first grader didn't finish first grade. Right, They went in March of uh, 2020, they left school. Around April, late May, they decided, okay, we can have an online portion of this, but less than 10% even showed up for that last month. So they never finished first grade, but with no child left behind in the schools and all that. And
0: two and a half months later, they were second graders. They were second graders. Let me do this. second graders. But they they weren't
1: back in school (laughs) live. Yep. Not until around almost December, January of, of 2022 or 2021. And that's unfortunate because they really didn't finish second grade either. Yep. Now you have that poor third grader teacher that has a spark and comes in and said, boy, I can't wait to <laughs> teach, you know, Chris or Bob, you know, ha- third grade. And they really didn't even finish first grade. Where's the parents' rights? Where's the parents' rights to know that, their little Johnny or Jill is not at grade level that they're in.
0: So one of the infamous schools districts in Tucson is Tucson Unified School District. Mm-hmm. Ideologically driven, poor academics, discipline problems—they got it all. And I will tell you that the superintendent of the school, who I like, Gabe, came on my radio show, Wake Up Tucson, where we love to nice plug plug all the time. Agreed. Bob's running for Bob's running for state. Uh, <laughs> State State Senate, too. Running for State Senate, (laughs) LD25. What's the website, real quick? Uh, (laughs) DrBobBranch.com. Thank you. And so so, um, what happened was, this is like a month ago. He literally admitted to me that, and this is a school that has an 18 to 20 percent of the students, 35,000 students, reading at level for the entire Mm -hmm. school district. Right? 18 percent. One of my one of our reels that I did with Clint here on their web web podcast, I suckered him in. I said, "Hey, Clint, what percentage of uh, kids at TUSD are reading at level?" And he said, "Well, I think you're suckering me, so it's got to be forty to fifty percent." I'm like, eighteen. He's like, 18%. "What?" percent." Holy. Wow. Sunnyside's worse. They have twelve wow. percent, and that's that's about fifteen to sixteen thousand kids. So what happened was the Gabe Trujillo, the superintendent, literally said. I got pretty much, especially my elementary school kids, are so far behind right now. But the school, the board, which is ideologically driven, and and they're swimming in all that federal money. That's right. They've done nothing to catch those kids up. So, the answer to your question, what are we doing to catch those kids up? Not much.
1: And what's obscene
0: is. Well, they're going to have AI can think for them. They'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) What am I thinking? What am I thinking? Yeah, obviously. obviously. You know,
1: it, it, well, we'll get on the chat GBT and all that oh, in a no. little bit. But the obscene thing is they are swimming in that federal money. And that money, a lot of that money is designed to catch the kids up. And they do not have the programs. And unfortunately, many of the parents do not know that their child is not functioning at that grade level. Right. How is that going to hurt our society?
0: Oh, massively. <laughs> massively.
1: Massively. You know, I, I was talking to uh, uh, an individual now. They're in their, I think, 20, 20, 21, 22, 20, somewhere around there. He's saying, well, I didn't get to go to prom. I didn't get to do this. I and it was like you didn't do that because the teachers' unions shut down the schools. And that was wrong, and we did nothing to catch you back up, and that's unfortunate. Now, when I said the first graders did, of course, every other grade did not go back to school either. Right. So I was just using that as a frame of reference, but all grades were affected by this, and it, it's it's just unfortunate. We need to catch children up, and that's so. You know, so what does
0: what does that look like if you were? If you if you're going to write the Dr. Bob Branch plan on what does ketchup look like, what does that look like?
1: First of all, I believe that the school has the responsibility and the p- parent has the right to demand where should my child be right now. Then sit down with the teachers, sit down and say, how are we going to get my child? And that's that really has to be happening at the local control local level. Yep. The school boards. You and I have talked about this many, many times. Uh, Run for your school board if you're a good conservative individual and you love education. (laughs) That's true. But you should because they're the ones that can affect change. Unfortunately, many of our school boards are just a a rubber stamp for their superintendent, and that's unfortunate. Right. We can't have that. We have to say, okay, many of the parents – were put in limbo as far as their jobs go during COVID. Many of the business owners, some of them lost their business. Everybody was displaced because of it. We can't ignore that our children weren't either. They were displaced, and we can't ignore it. And we have to go back and fix it.
0: We already had social uh, promotion going on in school as a problem before COVID. Before COVID. Right? And so maybe we were socially promoting possibly 5 to 20% of the kids. Well, we just socially promoted 97% of the kids over a two, three year period.
1: Well, at least 83%. Or or <laughs> 17% can't read. And, <laughs> you know, I, and, and that's. Oh, they're absolutely-
0: still promotioning the kids that can't read?
1: Are you crazy? <laughs> what the- <laughs> How unfortunate is that? I mean, the taxpayers pay for education. So if you're paying for education, then why can't the taxpayer come and demand that your child get educated?
0: It's always about ignorance, right? It's, a, it's about <laughs> ignorance.
1: Or the schools sending home report cards that aren't reflective of really what the child's work is. And that's happening. As far as you know, with the No Child Left Behind, the people are just move forward, and parents are like, "Well, my kid's obviously doing well," and it's not true. You know, before COVID, we had the you know an educational gap between the haves and have-nots. With COVID, if you are able to keep your child in a private school, a parochial school, or a charter school or a Montessori school, they they're accelerating.
0: They're way beyond their peers right They're now.
1: They're way beyond their peers right now. So that gap that we had prior to COVID, and that was something that, you know, dismantled the United States Department of Education that I was actually trying to fix. I was trying to fix education in this state. Uh, I wasn't running for another office. I was running to fix that. Yep. Um, but now, because that gap, is, it, it shouldn't be there. But now that gap is, is the Grand Canyon between... The people that were able to keep their kids, that is the people with school choice, right, that were able to keep their child in one of those schools, their child now is accelerating compared to their peers in, a, in many of the public schools.
0: So one of the themes that have run through any of our, our, our school discussions so far on faith family schools is the silver lining of lockdowns, which was parents, a good portion of them finally figured out what the hell's going on in my school. Right. What are they teaching my kids? How poorly they're teaching my kids? They finally woke up, right? So that's why we're seeing that homeschool, burst, charter school, private school, empowerment scholarship mm-hmm. like we have in Arizona. Um, but that's the, I guess that's the one. If we're going to give a silver lining to lockdowns during COVID is a portion of our parents finally did wake up.
1: Well, and we see that. Unfortunately, we see that it, in a negative light. Because it's very positive that the parent is actually going to the school board and raising heck. However, with the DOJ and all that, now branding parents terrorists are going to their school board meetings and say, and demanding, I think is absolutely wrong. But you see that now that these parents are waking up, yep. they're going to school board meetings, and they're demanding and that's good. Uh, more advocates out to get out there and go to your school board meetings and ask for great education, because we
0: can deliver. We can deliver great education. Get this lady out of our way. I'll put up Randy one more time. We're gonna have to put a we have to put a disclaimer warning on this that we're, we're showing this three times <laughs> right. during one uh, during one uh, episode of well actually my wife this episode it, it, of it, at faith family school rated r
1: it Rated R. That's right. <laughs> 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 that's right viewers discretion is required but adele said she said well you know that that is, is that a joke is it's actually not a joke she's the enemy that that whole indoctrination of what they're trying to do at the federal level down to the state level. Because what a lot of people don't understand is in in this state, you have local control. If Chris wanted to open up his Chris school tomorrow, you can open up your Chris school tomorrow. If you have under 50 students, life is good. You can do whatever you want. As soon as you start taking state money, okay, there's strings attached. You give up local control. Then once you take federal money, then you're giving up local control. So what ends up happening is the federal government tells you basically how to educate your children. And I don't think the federal government should be involved in our state's education. Um, you know, what what is good for New York may not be good for Alaska. And what's good for Alaska may not be good for Arizona. Sure. We don't know. Or California and that. The idea is... Have local control. If you have local control, you can fix the
0: problems. So let's talk about teaching to tests because that's something you talked about earlier in the episode. Right. And I've talked to, like, uh, one of the local school districts here on the east side of Tucson, which was has been named one of the best school districts in in Arizona. When I've talked to their teachers who actually left that district to come to our charter schools that I was the board of, uh, one of the board members of, they said they didn't like teaching to the tests. Mm-hmm. So how do we – because we want to have some sort of measurement of – are these kids learning, but at right. the same time, we don't want to teach to the test. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the middle way of looking at attainment and measuring it, but also not putting teachers in that dynamic that they're just teaching to a test that has very short-term recollection kind of mm-hmm. skills that we're learning, but not deep learning? What's the way through that?
1: Well, there's, and I just had this conversation um, over in Buckeye on Saturday. They, they had a uh, uh, the Buckeye Sangria Oktoberfest kickoff.
0: Wow, that's a hell of a title. So
1: uh, I, was over, <laughs> I was over there uh, actually campaigning, uh, again, running for LD25 Senate. <laughs> Little plug there. But um, we were talking about assessments. The person was arguing with me that, well, teaching to a test is, is horrible. Well, I'm, they're not going to get any argument from me. Uh, and but you need assessments. In education, we teach the teachers in college how to assess. We teach the teacher how to assess. We teach the teacher to say whether or not that child can move forward or not. We teach them that. And we take that ability away from them as soon as we hire them. You know, you can't look, you can't go to your principal now and say, Bob should not move on to the third grade right you may be able to say that but nothing's going to happen Bob is not is going to move on to the third grade right because they get paid for butts in the seats right and in, in the public school system um, we see how and and we should learn from this how charter schools are able to assess teach to a test but not let that be all consuming That's not the consuming part of the education. So your education level, say for in your math and reading, should be higher than what a national standard is. And if it's higher than a national standard, then the child will kick butt on that national test, on the fourth grade and eighth grade, you know, and they'll do that. But we also have to assess what level that child is at if we're consistently testing fourth graders that are at a second grade level right doesn't we're mean gonna it. have the same results over and over again we're gonna be you know substandard we're gonna be 48th or 49th in the country
0: i also have noticed in a lot of k-12 public schools there's not a connection of the curriculum throughout Right, there seems to be a lot of disconnects. So right. I'm a guy who comes from the charter school of classical ed model, and that classical ed model and the way you teach history every year that is all connected K through eight. Mm-hmm. So, but I've seen like especially schools in Tucson districts, they hire someone for two hundred thousand dollars to do the audit, and you know the the consultant, and right. it always comes back that there's no connection throughout their curriculum. Is this a uh, is this a widespread problem? You think in education?
1: Well, I believe it is. We should, we should understand, here's the national standards. You can get to the national standards and beyond by developing a curriculum that doesn't look at the national standards as being the goal. Right. Right. So if you develop a curriculum that your national standards is the you're, goal, you're teaching to the test. But if you go, it, it's like Viktor Frankl. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Third Viennese School of Psychotherapy. See, now we're educating. I love them. this. Let's so, do it. So Victor Frankl says, if you're going to aim here, I mean, if you're going to want to be here, then aim here, right? So your curriculum should be developed that, on average, your average student will be able to meet the average for the national. Correct. And so if you do that, then you're setting your goal here and you're teaching to this level. And that's where you should be. It shouldn't be a surprise to the child when they take the test. You shouldn't be there saying, okay, well, you know, here's how you do long division. And here's how you, well, the way I do long division isn't the way they do it anymore in school. I'd be frightened on how they do long division now. It's amazing. I remember going over to Buckeye uh, when I was running for superintendent. I was in a math class uh,
0: observing it as a candidate. And Buckeye is an extreme western phoenix, basically.
1: And, and very good school system, though. Very good school system. Um, at the time, extremely impressed with it. Well, the, the teacher, they were doing long division. And it was funny because they had uh, the problem and they had four answers. And they said, well, let's see if – you know, they were playing stump Dr. Branch. Nice. And it was like, okay, you know, what's the answer? And you know, I just looked up and I said, I don't know, like C or whatever it was, and it was the right answer. And they were like, Woo, he's a wizard! He didn't have to draw the boxes out and do all this other stuff." And the teacher goes, "How did you do that?" And I said, "Well, division is multiplication backwards, right? So if you have <laughs> if you have two even numbers, you're not going to have any odd numbers at the end. And there's odd numbers, and this is the only even one." And he looked at me, he goes, well, that's not how we teach. And it's like, well, (laughs) that got me through my doctorate degree. So, you know. uh, That's how we do figuring out here.
0: That's that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's back when we did reading, writing, arithmetic,
1: right? But the the object, though, is you ask how we do assessment. Look at what the charter schools are doing. They are setting their sights beyond what the national average is. Amen. You're right. And we have to go beyond that. If we're saying our goal is to be average, we're fools. That should never be our goal in, in anything in life.
0: Amen, Robert. Sing yep. it. All right, let's do this. We're gonna. This is the. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna come back and do a second episode with Bob, and we're gonna focus on uh, higher higher education in the college world as a professor and uh, a dean in that world. There you go. So I want you to do this. this uh, we're going to uh, call it a day for this episode of Faith, Family, and Schools, America's Road Back. And again, faithfamilyschools at gmail.com for any of your comments. And of course, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and all of those time-wasting social media, but valuable. Don't get me wrong. But uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Faith, Family, and Schools.